Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. The FT. The energy regulator tells the big six to explain why they're not cutting prices. Why divorce is getting more common and more expensive, and is Tesco's new current account any good? Welcome to the Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with my FT colleague Adam Palin. Hello. Plus two special studio guests: Anne Robinson of price comparison site YouSwitch. Hello, Jonathan. And Marilyn Stowe of Stowe Family Law, a law firm. Hello. The simmering row over energy prices was brought back to the boil this week when Ofgem, the energy market regulator, called on the so-called big six energy companies to explain why their prices haven't fallen in response to a decline in wholesale energy costs. Suppliers are, of course, very keen to blame wholesale costs when they put prices up, but seem rather less enthusiastic about passing savings on when they fall. In a letter to the heads of the supplier companies, Ofgem chief executive Dermot Nolan pointed out that wholesale gas prices have fallen around 38% since last June, and electricity is down around 20%. The falls are partly due to a mild winter and partly due to other factors. Yet during this time, energy companies have mostly put their prices up. The intervention comes at a sensitive time. Last autumn, Labour leader Ed Miliband said that if elected, he would freeze energy prices to allow time to fix what he called dysfunctional market, and that prompted the government to remove various environmental levies from our bills. And earlier this year, Ofgem referred the whole industry to the Competition and Markets Authority for a full investigation. So what's next? I'm joined by Anne Robinson, director of consumer policy at YouSwitch, the price comparison site. And the energy companies have said that the price of gas tomorrow or next week isn't really relevant, and what matters to them is the cost of gas for delivery in the winter, because that's when we use the most of it. And they also say that wholesale costs are only really one part of the overall picture. Should we believe all this? Well, let me nail that. First of all, wholesale costs do represent. Fifty percent of the bill. So, if wholesale costs come down by twenty percent, our bill should come down by ten percent. And you know what they're saying is rubbish because, in any case, prices for next winter and the winter after are low. They're still reducing, but the companies do buy in advance. They hedge the bets, and you know what? They trade as well. So, some of the companies now, because next winter and the winter after prices are low, they may be buying a lot of energy 
on and betting that prices will go up when they'll sell it. So they make money on trading as well. So no, I don't buy it. Now, the standard response to um, rising consumer bills is that people should shop around and, and go for the best uh, supplier for them. But most people tend not really to be thinking about their energy bills in the middle of summer when the weather's nice and the heating is off. Should they be switching now or is it better to wait? I think people should be very much switching now, shopping around. At the moment, there's only about 10% of us who regularly engage in this market. And you know what? There's some really good deals out there. At present, there's a very cheap deal that's under £1,000 if you get gas and electricity from this particular supplier, compared with nearly £1,300 if you get from the most expensive supplier and you pay what you, when you get your bill. But more than that, there is actually several deals out there which enable you to freeze your own prices now until well into 2017. And a number of them are cheaper than what most people would be paying now to the big six. Of course, last October, when energy prices were in the news, lots of people were switching then and a lot of people may have locked into fixed price deals there. What can you do if you did that? And and for instance, if your energy supplier wants to charge you for, for leaving early? Well, not all energy suppliers have penalty costs. Quite honestly, for most people, if they've already got one of these good long-term fixes, they're just as well staying with it. Although even so, I do recommend at least once a year, just compare prices, make sure you've got the best deal. And it may well be worth paying £20 or £25 penalty to get yourself a better deal. So Just because you've got a good fix, don't sit back and relax and think that's it. Keep on top of it. Keep in control. Okay, and finally, the Competition and Markets Authority investigation. Do you have high hopes for this? Do you think it will really change much? First of all, we're not quite sure yet, although I'm pretty certain it will go ahead. The Ofgem will make the reference, nor do we know what the terms of reference will be. But I think that it will make a difference because one of the things that the Competition and Markets Authority are going to look at is whether there's sufficient consumer engagement in this market to make this market work for all of us, and there isn't. But one thing I do want to get across, which is very important, it's going to be two years probably at least two years before anything comes out of this. Meanwhile, I think we have to help people use this market now. Thank you very much. That was Anne Robinson of consumer price comparison site USwitch. Still to come on the show, Tesco has launched a current account, continuing its steady march into the financial services business. But how does it compare to other recent offerings? First, though, let's look at divorce. Not exactly a fun topic, but a very relevant one, because each year around 120,000 couples decide to split up. Our analysis has found that the number of divorces each year is rising as the economy recovers, having fallen in just about every year for the past decade. Divorce is stressful and, of course, emotionally draining, but it can also be punitively expensive, especially if warring partners end up fighting it out in court. And the costs of splitting up are rising. Changes to the capital gains tax regime and cuts to the legal aid budget mean that splitting up is more likely than ever to land you with a big bill. Here to explain what you can do to make sure a divorce doesn't eat up all your savings is Marilyn Stowe, who is a senior partner at Stowe Family Law in Leeds. 
Marilyn, welcome to The Money Show. First of all, why is it that divorce rates pick up when the economy picks up? I think that uh, we experienced during the recession, and this is in our offices across the country, we experienced that divorces, the numbers of people getting divorced in the wealthier sector fell dramatically during the recession. But we also found that the squeezed middle numbers of people getting divorced there increased. And as you're coming out of a recession, those numbers increase still further. Uh, A bit like companies who go bump. A lot more go bump as you're coming out of a recession than during it. And the same applies to couples in divorce. And in most divorces, the the biggest asset to think about will almost certainly be the the family home. Have rising house prices affected settlements in, in any way? During the recession when houses were flat, it was very difficult to complete a settlement. There might have been an agreement, but because people couldn't sell their homes, they were still having to live in the same property. Now, with prices going up, it means that also houses are selling better. It also means there's more money available. It means that clean breaks are more possible, whereas during the recession that wasn't and maintenance still had to be paid. Okay, well, as house prices rise, of course, people are taking on more debt to to buy homes. They're having bigger mortgages. Does that mean for, for younger people in particular, it's more a case of dividing up the debt than dividing up the assets? You have to take into account all the assets and the debts when you get divorced and deal with them fairly. The court looks at need. The the most important thing is how to distribute assets between the parties, taking into account their need. And of course, depending on the circumstances of the party, that will alter. If you have a young childless couple, their needs, their respective needs will probably be about equal. If you have a woman with no income and several children, Her needs, her immediate needs, will be greater, perhaps, than the husband who does work and has an income. And so capital might be disproportionately divided in her favour. At the top end of the bracket, you have what do you do with assets which are surplus to need? because both parties' needs have been amply met out of the assets. And then there could be an argument between very wealthy people about what happens next. Okay, let's talk about um, mediation and courts for a moment, because there's there's some misconceptions about what mediation actually is and what it means. Can you explain a bit about how that works? The whole ethos of the approach to divorce now is, if possible, keep it out of court. And there are different ways of dealing with it. Mediation is where both parties are helped by a mediator to reach consensus, to reach an agreement between themselves. But it's voluntary. It's got no teeth. uh, It requires goodwill, intelligence, commercial acceptance of the realities um, by both of the parties. And it's not guaranteed to work. I'm an arbitrator, which is quite a relatively new um, process, which is similar to the court, but it's quicker and it's private. Uh, It's existed for a long time in commercial situations, but now it applies to money applications between couples who are splitting up. Am I right in assuming that going down the mediation route is much cheaper than sort of engaging uh, lawyers and, and going to court and having it out there? It can be cheaper, but the downside of mediation is that there's no outcome guaranteed. 
arbitration, the cost of an arbitration can differ depending on the um, circumstances of the arbitration, the nature of the assets that you're dealing with. The court route is longer, it's expensive. In my view, it's to be avoided if possible. But sometimes it's the only alternative. And the important thing is to recognise when it's necessary to go to court, stop messing about, get the thing sorted and let a judge decide. And finally, there are quite considerable tax implications to getting divorced, aren't there, particularly with regard to the taxation of assets? Absolutely. Capital gains is something that most couples don't think about, but it could be affected in a divorce. And rather than having to pay a capital gains tax bill, it's important to time a divorce carefully and to take advantage of the year of separation. So I think if you think that CGT may affect you, you must take advice. Thanks very much. That was Marilyn Stowe at Stowe Family Law. Divorce forms part of our cover feature this week, where we look at the connection between house prices, the economy and divorce rates in more detail. We also consider why divorce rates are on the rise amongst older people and why men are increasingly claiming from women rather than the other way round. FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, which is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday, and you can read online at any time. The address is ft.com forward slash money. Weekend FT is also available on mobile devices via a free web app in both Apple and Android versions, and we're always keen to hear your views. You can leave comments on articles on our website or you can email us directly. The address for that is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. Tesco, the supermarket giant, this week launched its own current account. Tesco already offers insurance, loans and credit cards and the introduction of a current account comes six years after it took full control of Tesco Personal Finance, which was previously run as a joint venture with Royal Bank of Scotland. Current accounts are loss-leading products for most banks, but they are valuable because it's usually easier to sell other, more lucrative products, such as mortgages, to customers who already have a current account relationship with a bank. The last few months have seen a rash of new current account offerings, such as Lloyd's Club and TSB+. So how does Tesco's new product stack up against more conventional rivals? Adam Palin is here to tell us more. Adam, can you sum up the main features of this new account and how is it different from anything else that's out there? Jonathan, in reality, it's very similar to a range of others that have been launched recently, not least the TSB account that you mentioned. There is a minimum pay-in per month. In the case of Tesco, it's £750, which is more than the £500 required by TSB if you don't want to incur the £5 monthly charge that they would otherwise charge. Now, they do, like TSB, offer interest on credit balances. Tesco are offering 3% on credit balances up to £3,000. In the case of TSB, this is 5% on credit balances up to £2,000. They're obviously going for... Uh, target audience that is their main current account. This isn't for people just opening an account to gain the interest. They want your monthly salary paid into this. Tesco are also trying to distinguish themselves as a responsible bank in that they're not going to charge customers expensive overdraft usage fees. So instead of paying a monthly fee of, say, five or ten pounds for dipping into your overdraft, Tesco have said that they're only going to charge interest on the money that's borrowed using an overdraft facility. 
Now, Tesco already has a huge customer base, courtesy of its uh, of its retail chain, and of course, its famous club card scheme. Is it targeting the uh, the account at those people? Do you think? Well, very much so. It's my impression, anyway. Instead of paying rewards in cash uh, or indeed in air miles, rewards are going to be paid in club card points. Now, it should be pointed out that Tesco are rewarding spending on the Tesco Bank debit card wherever you use the card. However, if you spend money in Tesco or on Tesco.com or indeed in a Tesco petrol station, you receive double points, thereby commanding loyalty. Is Tesco offering any incentives for for people to switch their current accounts from other banks to Tesco? There isn't a bung as such to new customers. Halifax, for example, are giving new current account customers £100 for switching. And First Direct, I understand, are offering up to £125. Now, like Halifax and, in fact, most banks, Tesco are signed up to the Payment Council initiative, the Current Account Switch Guarantee, that allows seven-day current account switching, including all of your direct debits and standing orders. And finally, several other retailers have launched banking offerings targeted primarily at their customer bases. Can you tell us a bit more about them? Are they going to follow Tesco into current accounts? Well, there is in fact one, Marks & Spencer, who do incidentally offer a bung for new customers of £100 in M&S vouchers. M&S do offer a current account, but it is a white label for HSBC Bank. Sainsbury's and Asda, Tesco's largest competitors, don't offer current accounts, nor do they offer mortgages, which Tesco has offered now for a couple of years. They do, however, offer credit cards and insurance products, and like Tesco, they do offer incentives by way of their loyalty schemes and money off in-store. Sainsbury's, which launched Sainsbury's Bank in partnership with Lloyd's Banking Group, actually bought out its partner last year for £260 million and wait to be seen whether they join Tesco in the current account market. Thank you, Adam. Talking of banks, we look at the looming TSB float in more detail in this weekend's FT Money. We also ask why the FTSE 100 still hasn't matched a high it's set way back in 1999, even though other major markets have hit new records. American money manager Ken Fisher explains why the much-vaunted outperformance of small-cap shares is something of a myth, and we've an interview with Ian Bell, the England cricketer, about how he manages his money. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, Adam and our special studio guests, Anne Robinson and Marilyn Stowe. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. 
We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.